0: Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big time defensive play! No holds barred. I paid the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five. football is barely a week away. We'll get you ready for the season and discuss the greater collegiate athletics landscape and how it relates to SU. Welcome into Fiz 5 alongside Ethan Frank. I'm Liam Griffin. Ethan, it's so wonderful to be with you on this August morning. It feels like football season is here even though it's only a week away.
1: Yeah, good to be back here in central New York, Liam. It is, uh, you can tell that fall is just around the corner up here, The weather in the 70s every day, creeping down into the 60s at night. It's nice and and dewy when you come out of the the front door in the morning. uh, Fall is in the air, and and that means football is here.
0: Yeah, I kid you not, before we started recording this, I could hear the birds chirping outside my window. So it's very nice to be back, but we're going to start with a troubling topic at the least for topic number one. Number 1. Conference realignment rumors continue to roll in. The ACC commissioners met earlier this week to continue to discuss adding Stanford, Cal, and SMU. Ethan, this feels like a whole bunch of speculation, but really that's what college athletics has been like ever since the move back to the Big East, right? That real or the move from the Big East rather, that's catapulted the modern era of conference realignment. There was a bit of a break But then you have Texas and Oklahoma come in. And since then, the speculation has been non-stop.
1: Yeah, it's all about money at this point in college athletics. And and that's what these conferences are vying for. The Pac-12 is going to pretty much cease to exist after 2023 and the 23-24 academic year, and the ACC is looking to potentially make some more money for its members that may not be really happy right now in a a Florida state, which has expressed openly its desire to change some things, or a Clemson, which could be be making a lot more money if it were in the SEC or the Big Ten, and and then those big North Carolina schools as well, Mm -hmm. UNC and NC State. Uh, That's really the four- you know, team university triumvirate that is is working its way to potentially look at an exit strategy, but they haven't found one yet. And I don't know if they will find one, but the ACC is trying to do everything it can to bring in some reinforcements and make some more money for the conference. And doing that with two schools in California and then another in Texas is an interesting strategy, but that's just where we are in college athletics right now. The big 10 is stretched from Rutgers to los angeles or rutgers to seattle or whatever you want to call it it's on both coasts uh really the sec is texas and oklahoma are a bit of a stretch but it's not completely out of the realm of, of geographical relocation but in terms of geography college athletics has gone completely haywire and that's just the time we're living in right now and the acc has to be you know, they weren't proactive. They're now just being reactive. And and the punishment of that is they're the third best conference in the country at best.
0: Yeah, location has kind of gone out the wayside, especially when you consider, yeah, you have these trap upgrades and travels that are reportedly coming soon, whether it be the high speed rail system that's been talked about all over Twitter or X nowadays, high speed airplanes that are reportedly coming within the next few years. That's all fun and games when it comes to getting from place to place. But the ACC, if we're talking about it being the, at best, the third best conference, it is the only power five school. If we're making it strictly about football, you can include the Big East with basketball. It's the only power conference to have not had a team come in or had a team leave. And while you can think about it and say, oh, it's good that no one's left yet. You're also not adding any strengths. And I, Ethan, I really don't know what strengths cal stanford and smu would bring because it's not as if none of them are poor academic or athletic schools in fact they're all quite good at ac- academic schools particularly the two in california but athletically they're just not at the top of their games with the dukes of basketball and the clemsons of football and if you want to compare them to syracuse which has been middling in both sports i have a hard time thinking that they compared it to the orange so if you want to add, our colleague Tyler Aiken wrote a fascinating article. What do you think about UConn as a potential addition?
1: I think that UConn will never be added to the ACC because they don't bring enough football-wise. And that's not to say that SMU and Cal and Stanford are football world beaters, but Stanford definitely has been a football world beater in the past yep. and is a, a program with a lot of pedigree and and has had some pretty legendary players over the years play for that program and you look at the ACC academically, there are a lot of great academic institutions within the ACC. Um, and and that is a big focus for the conference and why they want to keep that academic stronghold, because the big 10 could potentially try and poach some members that are also academically strong in the case that the ACC grant of rights is, is breached and, and something happens on that end. But why are you adding? Because any sort of money that you can get a TV deal to pay extra on top of what you already have is going to be taken by these conferences. So if I'm Jim Phillips at the ACC headquarters in Charlotte, then I'm doing everything I can to to make my members happy. And that's by giving them more money via via the TV networks.
0: I think if you are going to add even the, I, I would honestly prefer UConn because mitigates the travel costs, which as we talked about is but that going-
1: will it will but like going- that's unrealistic it, ed- will no, it will never happen no it will never happen
0: the Big Ten is going to mitigate that but adding a program like the Huskies for basketball will go a long way and granted their football program did a lot better this past year than it has in years past but it's still mediocre at best Ethan so we've come to the point where you're kind of being forced to at least think about addition regardless of whether or not the long-term effects are going to be good for your conference, And that's just the state of collegiate athletics right now. And honestly, it's kind of sad.
1: It's very sad. And greed has won out in a lot of places. The disease of more uh, ha- has won out in a lot of different ways. And, and it's going to keep winning out uh, as long as we keep going down this current road in college athletics.
0: And I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon with NIL continuing to play a big backer. that's only going to Increase the butterfly effect even more. This is not going away anytime soon, and it is becoming the new norm in college and collegiate athletics, and Syracuse and the rest of the ACC have to adapt before they, be, before they get plucked like the Pac-12 did. Absolutely. Let's move on to topic number two. Number two. Aronde Gadsden continues to impress preseason All-American All-ACC preseason team. Top 100 preseason player, according to ESPN. Ethan, the more and more we see of this guy in training camp and in his off-field accolades, it's hard to not be excited about what he can bring to this orange offense.
1: Hey, the expectations are through the roof for Ronda. He is going to be the guy that is getting double team that is going to have safety help over the top against him. And it's going to be on him and on Garrett Schrader and on Jason Beck and on Dino Babers to develop a game plan that is adjustable and can work against a lot of different defenses because teams are going to put their best cornerback or best secondary player against Aronde Gadsden, and Aronde Gadsden is terrific at winning one-on-one, but I'm very interested to see at if he's getting double teamed or if there's help over the top, what he's able to do because he was very good against man coverage last year, but then when teams went to zone against Syracuse, uh, it became a little bit more difficult for him. So how coming into the year with these expectations. Does Gadsden play? Because we saw what happened when he had no expectations and teams didn't really know the extent of what he could do. He was winning a lot of one-on-one matchups throughout the entirety of the first half of the season. And then the second half when Garrett Schrader got hurt and there were different quarterbacks playing each and every week and defenses knew what Gadsden could do. He, he slowed down a lot. So coming into this year with that target on your back, what are you able to do is a question I'm really interested in, in, in seeing answered.
0: Yeah, when you talk about Gadsden and him facing man versus zone, there are two games in particular that I look at to bevel that comparison. You have the Pit game, in which yes, Carlos Del Rio Wilson was the starting quarterback and was ineffective as ever, but Pit zone flustered SC's backup QB and Gadsden as well. He that was the only game in which he was held without a catch all season, and then the very next week you go to you play Florida State and they completely run you out of your own field on Senior Night and. Gadsden couldn't do a whole lot there. And I understand part of that was due to Schrader's first game back from injury. He was probably not even close to 50%, if we're being brutally honest. So, and FSU and Pitt were two of the top defenses in the ACC last year. Newsflash, those defenses are not going to be any easier this year, right? And I think that speaks to the entirety of the ACC as a whole, right? Clemson, Carolina, among others, have top-notch defenses. and those defenses are going to game plan for Ronde Gasdan. So who on earth is going to step up and take some of the pressure off of him? Because he's going to produce. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But he's not always going to be wide open in one on one battles like he was last year. He's going to get double teamed. He'll still get his yards. But can a Damian Alford finally break through, like everyone's predicting? Is it going to be an unsung hero like Isaiah Jones or Kendall Long or Umari Hatcher or Donovan Brown? The the sky is the limit for this receiving core but it all begins and ends with Ronde Gasden.
1: Yeah, he's going to need some help on the outside because he was the only person winning one-on-one matchups last year uh against man coverage. Damian Alford wasn't really winning a lot and those other, you know, depth pieces you mentioned weren't really winning a lot as well. I'm interested what the receiver rotation and depth chart is going to be like as we enter the beginning part of the season and how so you know your first opponents of Colgate and Western Michigan are really going to be like two preseason games at this point for Syracuse before you're getting ready for Purdue in week three last year you come out of the gates against louisville uh, that and that's a a very you know maybe it wasn't a very good louisville team but that's still a real football team you're playing against going against colgate in western michigan that's a little bit of a step down to open the year but i'm very interested to see what the rotations are like at the receiver position and who garrett schrader is enjoying throwing the ball to besides a gadsden
0: i mean you said it you said it best gadsden was syracuse's number one number two number three and really number four option last year up until You had flashes from Damian Alford. Devon Cooper came on kind of strong towards the end of last season. But over the first 9, 10, maybe even 11 games, you really only had one receiving option. That ain't going to cut it over a full 12-game season again. And it didn't cut it once Syracuse's schedule toughened up with Clemson, Notre Dame, Pitt, FSU, and Wake Forest. Those five losses. Having one receiving option got them nowhere. And it's not going to get them anywhere against this tough schedule Once you get past the Colgates and Western machines of the world, once we get to once we get to Purdue week three, I would like to see a true WR two emerge. Who is going to step up behind this high caliber player, not just the ACC in all college football. He's arguably the best tight end in the country, with the exception of maybe Brock Bowers at Georgia. You know, he's your ringleader. Now, who do you have behind him?
1: Well, I guess the thing is, he's not really a tight end. Uh, you can call yeah. him whatever you want. He's, he's a, I guess, whatever you want to call him. He's a playmaker. he He's at, a guy. right? At he, the ACC
0: he, kickoff in Charlotte, he described himself as, and I quote, just a football player.
1: Yeah, he 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 can do a lot of different things, and that's what you like to see, like versatility. Um, but it, it'll be very interesting how the rest of this receiver room shakes out and, and who is getting a lot of the other playing time in the slot and outside.
0: It's going to be a fascinating year for the receiving core as a whole under a new OC who – made Garrett Trader look pretty good when he was the quarterback's coach and Jason Beck is still going to be the quarterback's coach even though he will be the offensive coordinator as well. Let's take a break from the gridiron for topic number three. Number three. Donnie Freeman's stock continues to rise. He's he's looked excellent in AAU ball over the summer and last week he announced his decision to transfer to IMG Academy down in Florida for his senior season and Ethan Let's not say he was playing at this run-of-the-mill high school in D.C. He was playing at St. John's College, a school that beat IMG when it went head-to-head with them last season, playing in a very tough conference and one of the best recruiting hotbeds in the country. But there's a staying power that comes with playing at a school with the name-brand recognition that IMG has. And there's a history of Syracuse players coming from IMG as well.
1: Yeah, and, and this is very important because Donnie Freeman showcased a lot at Peach Jam and at AAU events and, and Nike EYBL events over the summer. And then goes to the Nike Academy in Portland, where he's getting, you know, videos of him pose of his workouts posted by Jonathan Gavoni, probably the best NBA draft analyst and expert in the business. So if you're getting that type of publicity, then you are a real prospect and going to IMG is a place where you can focus a lot on your basketball. And yes, he is still a, a high school student, but this is a place where your athletics are probably prioritized in a whole different way than at a lot of other places around the country. And when you're there, you know, you're among some of the be- other best players in the country that will challenge you in practice and as a teammate every single day, and then you'll be going up against the best competition as well. So I'm very excited for Donnie Freeman. I think this will be a, a huge boost to his ability and a real test in his senior year because not only will he be playing against the best players in the country, he'll be playing with them, which is what you want your guys prepared for a, as they get into college.
0: Yeah, you look at some of the schools that you would come to think of when it comes to who IMG would play. Montverde and Cooper Flag. even though he's – SU is as good as off his list by now. Would have been fun, but, you know, that's how the tables turn sometimes. And there's a history of SU players coming from IMG and developing. You look at a guy like Jesse Edwards. Didn't necessarily have the best start to his Syracuse tenure, but developed into one of the best bigs in the ACC over the past season. And it stinks that he'll be at West Virginia this coming year, but it's still encouraging to see. And you look at this year's roster, Benny Williams, Justin Taylor, and Quadir Copeland are all IMG products, the latter two having played together. So it creates an opening for recruiting as well, right? You have Donnie. Absolutely. You absolutely. You can use him as your sort of, what's the word I'm looking for, ambassador for the rest of IMG Academy players. It doesn't necessarily have to be players in the class of 2024. You're thinking 25, even 26. Now that recruiting for those two cycles is really starting to pick up. You have him. Bring in some of your friends like Justin Taylor did with Mr. Copeland.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this will be a really interesting fall for Syracuse. Speaking of which the, the Syracuse Nike elite camp is this weekend. Uh, So Adrian Autry will be hosting a lot of players in the classes of 25 and 26. So some of your younger high school prospects, but, in terms of the class of 2024, you have two guys and Elijah Moore and Donnie Freeman right now. It'll be really interesting to see how the class fills out here throughout this fall and maybe into the winter. Because Jaleel Bethay is obviously the biggest name you're after. But will there be any other ancillary pieces that Adrian Autry and his staff go after? And you have Freeman as that guy who maybe from a you know perspective of recruiting you as a peer and not as a coach could be a big benefit down at IMG. I
0: mean, yeah, you look at Moore and Freeman, you've got... I would say a stretch four in Donnie Freeman, and then you have a two or three in Elijah Moore. I don't really see him filling the point guard role, but he can absolutely be a secondary ball handler and someone that can score from every level of the court. You want to bring in a ball ball handler, right? You want to get a point guard because in all likelihood, both Judah Mintz and J.J. Starling will go to the NBA after this coming season. So if you can solidify this class of 2024 with a ball handler to come in with Moore and Freeman – it's hard to not complain about that, and playing at IMG only increases your chances. And that—that's not to say Elijah Moore playing at Cardinal Hayes in New York City is oh down in the doldrums. Cardinal Hayes is an excellent athletic school, but it just doesn't have the same name power as IMG.
1: I was—I—I I, I thought you were saying Morgan Freeman for a second when you're when you were saying Moore and Freeman. I was like, what does the actor Morgan Freeman have anything to do with uh with Syracuse basketball, basketball recruiting? School.
0: Just a coincidence.
1: And maybe he'll be a a celebrity at some games this year. We'll Uh, we'll have to see. uh, Maybe, maybe somebody will get him to narrate a a hype video or something, but you know, regardless uh, it it is very promising. What's what's going on. And Donnie Freeman's move to IMG Academy should be one that is accepted and and cheered upon because it'll make him a better player and a better teammate uh, moving into the future.
0: It absolutely should. And absolutely will. Our Editor-in-Chief DA wrote an article about how Autry is sort of cleaning the cobwebs from SU basketball a few months ago. This is it acting in motion right now. Having Donnie Freeman as that ambassador at arguably the top prep school in the country for high school athletics, it's hard to not be at least excited about the future prospects. Topic number four. Number four. This has been a hot topic really coming into the past few seasons, Ethan, but now more than ever, Dino Babers' future is a hot topic. The Athletic wrote an article earlier this week about ACC football predictions, and it predicted that Dino Babers was going to get fired after week nine, which feels a little bit premature in terms of it solely being week nine. I feel like SU Athletics would probably wait for the season to end before they made any sort of move. But when it's getting attention on a site like The Athletic, you know that it's a big deal.
1: I have some quotes to read. Yes, I wrote this article. Dino Babers has everything to gain and also everything to lose heading into 2023. That was on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, Here's some quotes I found about what people said. Here's from David Hale of ESPN. Quote, a year ago, the talk seemed to be bowler bust for Babers in the orange, but a seven and six season in a pinstripe bowl birth didn't quiet the critics. Blame it on the raised expectations of a six and oh start, a more balanced performance and another bold game should do the trick in 2023. But if the orange regresses. The pressure will mount. That's from ESPN. And then here's uh Stuart Mandel from the Athletic wrote week nine. Babers has managed to hang in for eight seasons despite producing just two winning records. This could be the year when the wheels come off. After starting six and zero, the Orange lost five straight last season and finished seven and six, then lost offensive coordinator Robert Anaya to NC State and defensive coordinator Tony White to Nebraska. Not great. And then finally, uh, Mark Frank of the Associated Press wrote, success hinges on several factors, starting with how quickly the team can adapt without record setting running back Sean Tucker and all ACC defensive back Garrett Williams, who both left early for the NFL, also leaving the program through the transfer portal where cornerback Deuce Chestnut and safety Jihad Carter, poised to be among the program's biggest stars. There's a huge loss of talent, and it's clearly skeptical throughout the entire landscape of college football, what Dino Babers will be able to do here in his eighth season. If he has a winning record, then I think he'll get another year as head coach. But right now, if you're Babers, Your job should be on a year-to-year basis. This should not be a guy who's locked into a long-term deal because he hasn't proved he can be consistent in any way as the head coach of Syracuse. It's been buildups and then fall-downs and then build-ups. And and now we're going to see if the build-up can plateau and become consistent or if it's going to fall back down again. And, And that is the question to this 2023 season.
0: Right now, my vision with Dino Babers right now, Ethan, is it's show me, don't tell me, right? He's saying all this stuff about how Alford could be a really good wide receiver too, how Schrader is healthy, how the defensive line, which completely crumbled during the 1-6 collapse at the end of last season, is really dying together and could be one of the deepest units on this team. It's show me, don't tell me, right? He says all the right things. He's a he's fairly generous with the media, and he want, once the camera stopped recording, he spoke in depth about what's going on in Maui right now. We know how important that area is to him and how he preaches the Ohana. But that being said, show me don't tell me. That's the that's the thing with Dino Babers right now. You're saying all the right stuff and you've handled the media pretty well during your time at SU, unlike a certain Jim Beheim. You still gotta make me see make me see in order to believe.
1: Yeah. I agree with that. Um, and it's uh, yeah, your actions speak a lot louder than your words, uh, your cliche, uh, written words. Um, and I know you you got to see a lot of training camp, but we'll talk about that in a little bit, Liam. But I'm interested to hear your perspective on, on what. So, I guess, from a Dino Baber's perspective, what has he been like over the past few weeks, seeing him at ACC uh, kickoff and then at training camp?
0: So, I'll start with the ACC kickoff after he spoke in the big ballroom. We went into these little breakout rooms and Wax, Schrader, and Gazin all were in there at their own podium for like 15 minutes. Then Dino comes in, and I asked I asked him something. I don't remember exactly what I asked him, but the question was something along the lines of, "What's the biggest thing you've learned?" And it's that things tend to change. And he somehow mixed in Bar- Barbie and Oppenheimer into that answer. And that I just, I looked at my colleague from a different outlet, and we're just like. We, it was hard to contain our laughter, even because he also opened the ballroom by the first question. He somehow mixed in the words "la familia" and "ohana" in there without breaking a sweat, and that's Dino Baber. So really, it's been same old Dino. And in pr- in practice the other day, he was calling he was calling his teams out for penalty. He was working one on one with Damian Alford, like, and he said some of the long lines of "We're going to play the people who do it right" directly in front of all the receivers so really it seems like he's evaluating all his options while maintaining that same old dino charm for the lack of a better phrase
1: that's interesting uh good to hear there are pre-snap
0: penalties going on in in training camp because we know that totally Uh, hasn't been there was an illegal motion there was a false start among other things
1: because that totally hasn't been a problem for the entirety oh, of Dino Babers no. is, is is playing disciplined it's football. It's uh, so that's good. Syracuse
0: to wasn't the most penalized team in college football last year. Yeah,
1: surely. Um, interesting. That's interesting to hear.
0: No, and I'll talk about more about it in a minute with topic number five. But there's a camaraderie feel among training camp, but there's still a sense of uneasiness knowing that the bar has been set high fans and the media and let's get into some of those training camp observations with topic number five number five tuesday and wednesday i was fortunate enough to attend training camp they we weren't allowed to record or record the first part whether it be videos or whatnot and then once they got into individual drills we were allowed to and then we were allowed to shoot some 11 on 11s as well so it really took it was really interesting to see all these assistant coaches working one-on-one with their position groups, that's not something that gets a ton of spotlight. But, Ethan, I think if we're going to take anything away, Damien Alford Moss Isaiah Johnson, the pre-snap penalties like we talked about a minute ago were an issue. So I think my big takeaway from these few days, the ceiling is very high, right? We saw a lot in training camp. Justin Barron has intercepted Garrett Trader what, four times? He said after he didn't record a single one last season so the floor is very Cecilia so ceiling is very high but ethan at the same time it's a wicked low floor
1: a wicked low floor uh, I, I, had
0: to mix, I had to mix that in somehow
1: now that's your your new england liam griffin for you um y- yeah it's interesting to hear and see all the the takes and observations that have come out of training camp over the past few weeks and you know having watched the spring game and been there in person i'm not sure my everything i've heard is not really doing anything about my concern for the offensive line and that everything i've seen has been mainly focused on schrader and what's his health and the receiver room and, and the defensive backfields and, and that aspect but really nothing has been talked about how this offensive line looks so bad in the spring game yeah. um and, it, and, and, I, and, and i
0: wouldn't call and i wouldn't call it a pretty sight in training camp, either.
1: Okay, uh, so that's good. That's good to know. Penalties. And also, everyone just keeps talking about how how deep and good this defensive line is going to be, and I just I don't believe that even a little bit. That if do I. if Kavon Darton is still your starting nose tackle, then I I just can't take your defensive line seriously. I understand they're going to have experience and, and camaraderie and chemistry with guys who've been there before, but just because they've been there before it doesn't make them a good defensive line. They could be deep, but deep only gets you so far when it comes to successfully stopping the run, which is something Syracuse has not done well over the past handful of years, especially in the three, three, five defense where you're playing five guys in the back and, you know, Syracuse has been okay when it comes to its linebacking corps, and its secondary has been very good, but the defensive line has really been the area of the field where things have struggled, especially in the run game. So how is Rocky long going to handle that? I I, I won't believe it until I see it, despite how much I'm hearing it from, from other places.
0: Hey, yeah. It's a another case of show me, don't tell me when it comes to the defensive line and really Ethan the whole team. We hear about how Dan Vellari can be a big weapon for this team because of his former background as a quarterback and his size, making him a receiving option as a tight end. Cool. How many catches did he have last year? One. And it came in garbage time against UConn. Show me. Don't tell me. There's only as as interesting as it was to be on the sidelines for training camp and see all these things that you don't typically get to see during a game and that fans don't really have access to. There's only so much you can take away from it because it is controlled and it's just practice. You We won't know until the Orange take the field next Saturday against Colgate. And really, Ethan, I would argue we won't know until Syracuse takes on Purdue and at Indiana, if we're calling that the first true test. I don't really think you can check off Western Michigan as a gimme as much as you can Colgate because the Broncos were 8-5 a few years ago and had a 10-win season not so long ago, even though it was under P.J. Fleck. But you can't really have any major takeaways about this team until we see them battle legit competition that isn't each other, right? As good Absolutely. Yeah. as good as Damian Albert's catch on Isaiah Johnson was, and Q's football even captured me on Instagram in the background of that picture if you want to go check that out. As good as that looked, as impressive as it is that Justin Barron is intercepting Garrett Schrader left and right, and they have a wager going about it, Show me, don't tell me.
1: Yeah, that, that's really what it is. It's it's kind of a waiting game right now, and, and, and a lot hinges on this season when it comes to jobs, when it comes to the future of the program, and, and, and this is going to be a pressure-filled 2023, to say the least.
0: And I think this circulates back to the beginning, right? If Syracuse has a good season and establishes itself as another viable football option in the ACC, it might keep the conference alive for a little while longer.
1: Definitely possible.
0: Any final thoughts before we say so long, my friend?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's uh season's approaching. We're going to have more fizz fives cranking uh, more often as the season goes on, hopefully uh, some more content and, and we'll have live reactions after every game on our Twitter space, as we did for, for football and basketball season last year as well.
0: It is good to be back in central New York and it is exciting with the season right around the corner. With Ethan Frank, I'm Liam Griffin. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. For more content, check out TheOrangeFizz.com for all of our articles. And as always, go Orange. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.